Hello and welcome. This is Connie Reagan Green from HugeProfitsTinyList.com with another call in the podcast series. Today my guest is Joe Vitale, Dr. Joe Vitale that is, and I want to tell you just a little bit about him. He's the author of way too many books to mention, including the bestsellers The Attractor Factor, Life's Missing Instruction Manual, and oh so many more, including the head spinner Zero Limits, and the mega-hit, The Key. I love what he says as his motto. It is Aude Aliquid Dignum, which means in Latin, that's Dare Something Worthy. Welcome, Joe. Great to be here. Thanks for inviting me. I've been looking forward to this. Yes, I'm so excited that you'll be part of this podcast series. I said that I would do 50 podcasts during 2012, and I am very, very picky about who I include. Mm. <laughs> well, thank you for including me, and also I want to congratulate you. You set up your own challenge, and here you are fulfilling it. And I think that's daring something worthy. We just throw out the gauntlet for ourselves, exceed our personal best, and go and do it. That's what you're doing, so you're an inspiration. Thank you. Oh, well, well, thank you, and I have found that that works well for me. And, you know, Joe, I've been following you for probably about five years now, and I'm not sure exactly where I first heard of you, but all of a sudden, you are a presence in my life, both online and then finally offline within a couple of years later. And one thing that really made me feel so close to you was the fact that you have written so many books. Mm. And when I first met you, I was not yet an author, and now I've got my eighth book coming out and I've contributed to many more. Can you talk a little bit about when you first decided to become an author and how that process evolved for you? Well, first of all, congratulations to you. I've seen your journey here, and I'm proud of you and inspired by you, and I Thank hope you. everybody else is, because uh, your, your books and your accomplishments are also very noteworthy. As for me, I wanted to be an author when I was 16 years old. I had gone through this experience of trying to decide what I wanted to do when I grew up, and instead of doing what everybody else was doing and just being silly and being an adolescent, I was considering did I want to be an actor, did I want to be a baseball player, did I want to be an attorney, did I want to be a detective, did I want to be an author. And I decided that because I loved books so much, I was a bookaholic at a very young age, and that I could be all of those different characters through the medium of writing, by writing novels, by writing plays, I decided the smartest thing to do was to be an author. And I decided I wanted to do that when I was 16. Now, of course, it took <laughs> 20 <laughs> to 30 years for me to be able to make a living from it. But I did decide then, and I did get published early on. One of my first uh, articles was a magic trick that I created and wrote up and had published when I was 16 or 17. Uh, most people don't know that, but that was one of the first ones for me. So I just decided when I was young, and I also knew the power of writing, I knew the power of the written word, and I knew what it could do to me when I read something that moved me to tears or moved me to laughter. So I wanted to be an author early on. But, Joe, the difference is that you took action. You actually started oh, yeah. writing. So someone like me, I had wanted to write from a young age and didn't do very much of it until I turned 50 years old. Yeah. So what do you think it was in you did you mm. did you have motivation from outside family mm. influence 
That's a great question. There was no motivation from outside. I did not come from a family of readers or writers. There was no encouragement for it. They didn't relate to it at all. They were probably even baffled by it. So it was all an inside job. But I think when I look back on it, I had read books, especially biographies, of some truly great people. And the one that comes to mind was Harry Houdini, because I remember the biography of him just transforming me. And I saw that he took massive action. I don't think that I consciously thought about him taking action. But when I read the biography, he was certainly doing challenges. He was doing shows. He was speaking. He was traveling. He was creating. He was writing. He was performing. He was doing. So I consciously or unconsciously came to the conclusion that the only way to actually get anything done was to actually take action in the direction of what you wanted to have accomplished. And I started doing that. And again, it was not an overnight success. It was not easy. I did not have anybody patting me on the back or pushing me forward or cheering me on. It was pretty much me saying, this is what I wanted to do. This is what I'm going to do. And by God, I'm just going to keep trying. And those little successes, and I mean in many ways they're tiny and almost the kind of success that can disappear, like having a magic trick published when you're 16. On one level, I've never even talked about it in public. This might be the first time I've ever mentioned it because it didn't really amount to anything. On another level, when I'm 16 and a magic trick I wrote up is published, that is massively inspiring and encouraging. So those little things would keep me going. But I know, and I tell people today, you must take action. Even the people that are law of attraction junkies who saw me in the movie The Secret, they keep forgetting that the word action is in the word attraction, (laughs) that action is really what it takes. You can't get the book written. You can't get anything done unless you take action. So that is ultimately a massive secret, and it's not hidden at all. It's not even a secret. You just have to do it. All right, so I'm seeing an inner strength, and I think that's what all successful people, you know, we finally come around to that, that we really have to be strong from the inside, that 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 success starts deep inside of us. And then also celebrating the little successes to keep you moving, to keep you doing the next thing, the next thing, the next thing. You know, those are great insights, but I want to look at that first one for a second because I know that I have always felt, especially growing up, I mean, I don't feel it now, but growing up, I felt insecure. So when we talk about having some sort of inner strength that would keep me going, I actually think it might have been the reverse. It might have been a lack of inner strength that kept me going because I thought if I could get published, it would build inner strength. It's a little bit like one of my friends today is the Hulk, Lou Ferrigno. And he was just saying to me about when he was growing up, he was afraid of public speaking. And of course, he has a hearing problem. Now he has a hearing implant, but he still has difficulty listening and he has to read lips. And when he speaks, he's got a bit of a thick voice because he never learned how to speak because he couldn't hear that well growing up. His insecurity about speaking drove him to become a great speaker. Today, he's a motivational powerhouse. Now he can stand on stage and just pretty much blow the roof off. And I, and I can't help but wonder, and I know what you're pointing out, and I'm just using it as a jumping-off point for a discussion, mm-hmm. 
that maybe it isn't so much a sign of strength, it was a sign of weakness trying to build strength that kept me going in trying to be an author. Because I certainly didn't have a lot of confidence that it was going to work. I just had a lot of hope that it would work. Okay, because I guess as you're talking, I'm thinking about myself with public speaking because mm. now this year, now I, I've gone international with wow. the speaking. I know you, you've done that for, for so long. I, I've seen when you've been speaking in Peru and just yeah. all over the world and in, in Russia and everything. And with me, you know, I had that insecurity. I had been a classroom teacher. I could speak in front of, you know, a couple hundred kids in front in an auditorium or in a classroom, 50 or 40 kids. But to do it in front of adults was a different story. So for me, I was so insecure with that that perhaps what you're saying is true about my journey with that. I, You know, I, I had that weakness and I wanted to develop it. And it was physically painful for me each time, but I kept putting yeah. myself through that. And now I get so excited to be able to speak. So perhaps looking at our weaknesses and seeing what we want to improve mm -hmm. can be a path to success. I think that's a brilliant insight. I'm also thinking about when I wanted to uh, – I, I didn't want to be a speaker. I started to say when I wanted to be a speaker. I didn't want to be a speaker. I was terrified. I was the shy bookworm. I wanted to be <laughs> in the library. When my first book was published in 1984 – I realized that I had to get out there and, and speak about the book because one of the ways to sell the book is to speak to a crowd. If they like you, they might buy the book in the back of the room. It's just a tried and true speaking technique. But I was terrified of speaking. I started doing these writing classes, and the very first writing class had six people in it. I was so terrified that I was leaning against the wall, trembling and sweating, and my knees buckling, and I expected at any point I was just going to slide to the floor and pass out. Six people. But I kept doing it, which is another secret. That's that persistence. I kept doing it until I was pretty much desensitized but also practiced so that when Larry King invites me, in fact, the second time I was on Larry King, I was out the night before partying, having a steak and all this, and they call me up and want me to fly to Los Angeles. <laughs> I went, and I went in front of a million some people, live, on national television. I could not have done that had they called me 30 years previously, if there was a time machine. And they caught me when I was going through that phase of deep insecurity, standing in front of six people and trembling to death. So that, there's that thing about practice, you know, that weakness, though at the same time you know you want to have a strength there, it comes from taking action, comes from practice, comes from coaching, rehearsal, and time. Okay, yes, and, and it's hard for me to uh, to imagine you tr trembling and, and <laughs> being nervous. It was real. Good thing they didn't have camera phones back then. <laughs> well, I remember when I was early in my speaking career, it was in October of 2009, that was uh, when I was uh, one of the speakers at, at Unseminar, and I had started to speak, and you were outside the room, and you came in, whoever you were talking to, you said something to them like you, you know, excusing yourself. You yeah. came in, you sat down, and you watched attentively during that half hour that I spoke. Mm -hmm. And I'll never forget that because I think that's very, very powerful to give your focus and attention to another human being to recognize and acknowledge what they are doing. Well, I remember that moment, and I, I was fascinated by what you had to say in your presentation and your presentation skills. So I, I didn't know it meant anything to you, though, so thank you for telling me that. Yes, yes, you're welcome. 
Well, you know, Joe, I'd like to go back in time a little bit. Um, you're a young adult, and you were working in construction, I guess, maybe in your 20s? I had worked for the railroad as a laborer since I was five years old, all the way up till I left Ohio in 76, I guess. Wow, and I love Ohio. I think it's a beautiful, beautiful state. Mm-hmm. It really is. Okay, but here you are. You're doing this, and you knew at some point that you really wanted to change your life, and your thinking started to change. Can you recall any parts of that, what it was inside you that wanted to initiate this change? Well, the first thing to say is I knew I wanted to change and not be a laborer on the railroad when I was five years old, <laughs> only only because my father bundled me up one day and took me to work with him. And there's a photo of me, five years old, smiling looking cute as can be, all dressed up, going to work with his dad, but not knowing what he's in store for. <laughs> if there had been a photo of him at the end of that day, it'd probably be pretty disastrous looking. Because I remember hating that kind of work, and every time I went on the railroad, and again, from five years old all the way into my mid-twenties, I was doing it, part-time, weekends, the summers, the whole thing. And I kept telling myself, this isn't what I want to do. I don't want to be a laborer. I don't want a career doing this. I saw the people around me who were doing it for their entire lives, and somehow that made sense to them, and they were able to live with it in their mind. But I could not. And so I just decided that I, I needed to do something different, and I was reading all the classic self-help books. And the most powerful one that stuck with me then and sticks with me even today is the book The Magic of Believing by Claude Bristol. It's a book that came out in the 50s. It's still in print today. There's a nice audio version. It's an abbreviated version of the entire book that's worth listening to. But The Magic of Believing basically taught me in a very convincing way that if I can visualize it and I can believe it, then I could achieve it. And I held on to that. Now, again, because I was a bookaholic i was a solitary kind of guy i didn't have coaches we didn't have the internet i didn't have any support team around me i didn't have anybody in the family or even close friends that understood what i was going to do or had done it themselves so there was no outside encouragement it all had to come from inside i was driven a lot by a dream but i was also driven a lot by aversion i didn't want to keep being a laborer so that book, the whole idea of believing in myself and believing in my dream and it would come true is what I held on to. But because I didn't have resources like you and your podcast or a lot of the other things that we take for granted today, didn't have any of that, it took a really long time and a lot of struggle. Thank goodness you don't have to go through that today. The learning curve is cut down. The support you need is right out there. We have more resources. We have more free resources. We have more encouragement. There's so much that we can use as an ally to get us to our dream. I didn't have it, so it took longer. But the basic thing is the magic of believing as a book and as an idea kept me going through life. Oh, that's a great a great story that that you're sharing there, and uh, you know it is so true that today we do have so many resources just right at our at our fingertips. Yes, and we we have everything right there. Well, you know, Joe, a lot of uh, my writing that I do, uh, I just continue to look back to your hypnotic writing book, mm. and this book has to be you know one of the the greatest resources for uh, people out there. 
And you know how how can someone get started with hypnotic writing if they're just well, I guess, on day one? Yeah, well, day one would be go buy the book hypnotic writing. Yes, definitely. <laughs> I must have in your library, and it's, at your fingertips. You want to reach for the green book. There you go. Yeah, it's a published um, a paperback. I'm seeing a copy right now, but it's also an ebook. You can get it for your Kindle or iPad right now at Amazon, and I think for under four dollars. Oh, good. Good. It was my very first ebook, and in fact, it was even before that when I was speaking in Houston as a author learning how to be better as a speaker. And I knew that if I had things to sell in the back of the room, I could make extra money. I wrote a little book called Hypnotic Writing. I went to Kinko's. I would get a few copies spiral-bound. I wrote the price of $100 on the cover, crossed it out, and put $50. And I'd lay it on the table. And people would go, oh, my God, $50. It must be fantastic. And they would buy <laughs> Hypnotic Writing. Wow. That was a basic kind of a print-on-demand book, and then it was my very first e-book that Mark Joyner released many, many years ago, 97, 96, somewhere in there, and then it was picked up and published. I'm very proud of hypnotic writing. I call myself a hypnotic copywriter or hypnotic writer. I use all of the elements of hypnotic writing in my speaking, in my presentation, in the YouTube videos I come up with. I'm now a musician. I, st I even use hypnotic writing in my songwriting which is something I haven't talked about or written about yet. But this is how deep it goes. Anybody can do it. Uh, the very first thing, it's self-serving, but I'd say go buy the book. But the other thing to consider is that people live, speak, communicate, and understand the world in terms of stories. That's hypnotic. Whenever you can tell a story that delivers the message that you're trying to get across, you've upped the odds of it being communicated in a way that people are going to grasp and understand and remember. If you even think back over this podcast right now and the questions you're asking me, more often than not I answer with a story because I'm trying to give it to you in a vivid experience. If we just think in terms of facts and figures, we can't retain it. But if we weave those facts and figures into a story that's got a character and maybe there's some conflict, think of some great Harry Potter stories, think of some great novels or fiction or stories you read growing up, and kind of use those elements even in a presentation that's to business people or even in an email or on a website. If you go and look at any of the websites they come up with, more often than not you're going to hear me weave a tale. And this weaving of a tale is me telling a story to communicate things. Today, we have so much resistance to hearing anything, especially if it's a sales message. You know, we put up our radar. We put up our blocks. We have our <laughs> force field up. We've got our filters up. However, we let stories come in. And so that, that's the number one thing I would say is learn to tell stories. Yes, and, and I, I believed you when I first heard you talking about that. And <laughs> I tell a story, I believe, at least a small one, in every email I send. And I send mm. seven to ten emails a week, every week, and I've done that now for four years. Wow. So I'm always send, sending a story. And a lot of times I'm saying, you know, you recall earlier when I was talking about a person or an event or something, and then I add to the story so that they feel like they have to follow that flow yes. to get the next episode. Yeah. And I really did learn that from you, Joe. Oh, thank you. You're thank welcome. You. Well, Joe, you know, you have been successful as an author, 
you do internet marketing, you are very powerful in the law of attraction area. And now you're well. You've always been a musician, but now you're you're getting more recognition for being a musician. How do you think it is that you can move seamlessly with you know between these different genre and do it so successfully? That's a great question, and thanks for acknowledging those different fields because the musician thing is relatively new. And and in two years, I came out of nowhere and have four CDs done. I'll be back in the studio soon with number five and probably one after that. Wow, congratulations. So so how am I doing all of this? Well, here's what I think. The first is I decide to. So I'm reflecting over my life, and I'm going, okay, what do I want to do next? And at one point I go, well, I play the harmonica, but I really always dreamed of playing the guitar and singing and writing my own songs. Well, I don't have a clue how to do all of that, but other people do. So the first thing I do is decide to do, okay, I'm going to be a musician. I don't know how I'm going to be a musician, but that's my intention. I've stated it. I've declared it. And not for the rest of the world, for me. I'm declaring it for me. This is where I'm going. The second thing I do is find the people who already know how to do this and let them be my coaches. Now, back in the days when I was writing and wanting to be a writer, but I didn't have any money. I was a kid. You know, I might have had a paper route, and I was working on the railroad, and they paid me that money, but I I burned through it pretty quick by buying other books, how-to books. That's what I would do back then. I still do it today. I want to learn how to write songs. I go and buy all the how to write songs book. Now, I'm also in a position where I can hire those authors, and I've done the same kind of thing where I'll surround myself with the best of the musicians and say, how do you write songs? How do you play the guitar? What's your coaching for me? So the first thing is I set the intention. The second thing is I gather my allies. And in the old days, they were just in books because I couldn't afford anything else. Today, it's books, it's audios, it's the Internet, and it's the individuals themselves. One of the first things I did with the music is I took a weekend songwriting uh, class with Kevin Welch and Ray Wiley Hubbard, two pretty well-known singers, musicians, songwriters. It was a turning point for me. And I actually, and I'm saying this for a reason, because I can imagine people going, well, I have big dreams too, but I'm so scared. Well, I was terrified, and this was only two years ago, I was terrified to go into a singing-songwriting workshop. Me, a fully grown adult with all of these (laughs) successes in all these other areas, I was really terrified. I felt so out of place. I felt so uncomfortable. I almost didn't even go to the singing-songwriting workshop that I had paid for. Hmm. I, I had to sit with myself and say, look, you're going because you don't know how to write songs right now. That's the reason. You're not going to go... Uh, yet you can't wait until you know how to write songs and then go to a singing songwriting workshop. <laughs> it, it was plain illogical. And so I, I had to push myself to go. And when I did, of course, it was a breakthrough for me. It was a turning point, and I had a blast. And I am, again, pointing it out because some people think, well, you have to already have that inner strength. You have to already have that belief in yourself. Well, I had hope, much like I did 30-some years ago or 40 years ago, whenever it was at this point, and I wanted to be a writer. I didn't have the evidence around me. I didn't have people encouraging me. This is all stuff I had to do within myself. So I had to do it two years ago with the singing songwriting. And then the third thing is I'm taking action. I actually sit down and write songs. (laughs) I actually write them even when I'm going, well, this sounds really bad. 
but I'm new at this. Maybe it's better than what I think. And some of them turn out to be like that. Some of them, they, I would look at them and go, okay, that's undeveloped, but that's how you start. Another one I'd look at and go, wow, that actually is about as good of a song as I've ever heard from anybody. And that comes from the doing. I bought a notebook, a handwritten notebook, and I just started drafting songs within it. And that's something I picked up from another singer-songwriter. He'd walk around with his notebook, much like some artists would walk around with a drafting pad, and whatever ideas came, he just wrote them down. Well, I started doing the same thing. And I guess the fourth thing I would do is I'd get feedback and correct my course. So as I'm learning to sing, as I'm learning to write songs, as I'm writing songs, and I get feedback about, well, here's how to stay on pitch when you're singing the song, or here's a different chord to play on your guitar, that's all feedback to me that I use to help me go to the next level. So I, I see steps here, but it all begins with a declaration. I'm going to do this. Excellent, excellent. Well, I love your music, Joe. I love the the healing, the healing music. What, what is it yeah. called exactly? The healing song. The healing song. I love that. Just, just thank beautiful. You. Yeah. So, Joe, thank you so much for spending this time with us today. Oh. Uh, it's just a, an incredible journey that that you've taken, and, and you've inspired uh, millions to to move forward with with their lives. So, we love being part of that with you. What's the very best place to find you? Well, I'll tell you what. I have a gift for your listeners. Ooh. Yes, I I wrote a book called Attract Money Now. And it reveals a seven-step formula that can help people to attract money. And I believe you can adapt it for anything that you're really wanting to do. But money is usually what's on people's minds pretty much uh, uh, the most these days (laughs) or any day. If So if they go to attractmoneynow.com, attractmoneynow.com, They'll be able to get the book, and there's a little video there of me explaining what's in the book. And I think that's probably the best way. I mean, I can give out my my main website, but attractmoneynow.com would be the great gift. All right, because we look forward to connecting with you and learning from you and hearing from you uh, regularly with all of that. So thanks again for spending this time with us. Oh, thank you. You're doing great work. Godspeed to all your listeners. This has been a blast. (laughs) Thank you, Joe. Again, this is Connie Reagan-Green from HugeProfitsTinyList.com. Be sure to listen to all the calls in the podcast series.